All right, on this episode, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Samuel Shore from HBOT Nova, Northern Virginia, and uh, really enlightening conversation for me. It's something of HBOT, which is hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and what it can do and how this therapy, uh, this oxygen therapy can support uh, areas and diseases, both systemic chronic inflammation diseases, as well as others such as traumatic brain injury, um, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia uh, type scenarios, and which are often diseases that don't seem to have any remedies um, that have seen significant improvement. It also has an anti-aging, but the, the most critical thing that he discusses to me is one, the concussion or traumatic brain injuries in which they work with the military, work with the NFL in recovering uh, cognitive uh, abilities. Uh, also relative to strokes, which is historically something that doesn't seem to ever have improvement over other than extended um, physical therapy or therapies more physically or mentally uh, exercises where this can help uh, and as Dr. Shore discusses in the episode um, the resuscitation of the air the cells in the uh, damaged area that you can't recover the dead cells but the areas within the I'll call it the blast zone that go dormant those they have found through this therapy to help resuscitate and significantly improve um, stroke mental and cognitive brain injury traumas so it's very encouraging um, opportunity we talk a little bit about some of the shortcomings because of medical uh, hurdles and insurance and uh, but listen in and please share with anybody that would be uh, of interest or that could benefit from this uh, episode and this information and this therapy thank you remember rested be well Okay, with me today is Dr. Samuel Shore, founder and owner, medical director of Nova HBOT. Welcome, Dr. Shore. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, looking forward to the conversation. I was saying before we started recording, um, you know, been learning about HBOT, or which is short for hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and really what that is, um, the value of it. I guess it's a relatively newer discovery, but I will get into that as the, the history of it. But um, before we kind of dig into the specifics of that, you know, a little bit about your medical background, um, as a doctor and kind of how you got into becoming a bit of an HBOT specialist. Um, mm-hmm. Well, my, my training is primary care, internal medicine. I've been in practice for about 35 years. Um, And early on in that practice, I became interested in managing folks who had chronic fatigue, uh, subsequently evolving into this whole arena in the 80s of chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, And my interest expanded into ultimately associating uh, chronic Lyme disease with chronic fatigue. And in fact, published a paper 10 years or so ago where I believe I provided clinical evidence that the majority of my patients in in that study uh, of international case-defined chronic fatigue syndrome actually had blood test negative Lyme disease. 
and so subsequently evolved an interest in, in chronic Lyme and in fact was the principal author in a publication six months ago on the definition of chronic Lyme disease. That being said, a very challenging set of issues, uh, constantly looking for options in therapeutics for those folks, um, the thought, the consideration for hyperbaric oxygen uh, was generated about 15 some odd years or so ago. And what fascinated me about hyperbaric oxygen therapy is the fact that that was a technology that was fairly simple, safe, uh, and actually had the potential capacity to treat a number of conditions that had limited options for therapeutic intervention. And in particular, uh, from my interest, was uh, from an adult standpoint, was uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, which historically was treated with a tincture of time. Uh, some cognitive rehabilitation is possible, but there are real limitations. There are real limitations on uh, in relation to active intervention, and uh, that when I saw the therapeutic effects that hyperbaric oxygen had on patients who were studied with traumatic brain injury, uh, it was astounding. And the number of individuals with TBI or traumatic brain injury, um, certainly from car accidents, falls, uh, sports, anywhere from uh, children in contact sports to soccer to professionals, uh, NFL certainly has come around to recognize the impact and, uh, and, and new policies have been generated as a result of that. And in fact, we've treated a number of NFL players in our center uh, as well. Uh, but other conditions such as the post-stroke state, uh, and what I mean by that is stroke is when a portion of the brain loses circulation for various reasons and that a portion of the brain actually dies. Um, but what we have found is that even 10 or 15 years after an individual has had a stroke, that there is an area of viability that can be turned on by this technology such that there are therapeutic gains that may be accomplished a decade down the road in someone who's had a stroke. So um, even it, like, so if I may ask on that yeah. section, so is it almost like resuscitating the dead cells or, or what was perceived? No, cells, no, no. You can't, you can't turn around cells that have died. Okay. What we're dealing with is a penumbra, a, an area surrounding that um, location of dead cells such that, the cells have generated a state of hibernation, if you will, so that the mitochondria, which are the powerhouse of every cell, are functioning at a level that allow the mitochondria to be sustained, but not at a level that the cell is functional. And so that what this technology allows us to do is to turn on those mitochondria that surround the area of, of dead cells uh, and, and then allow them to start functioning 
in a capacity for which they were meant to function. And uh, this occurs particularly in relation uh, to, to, to turning on mitochondria, but hyperbaric oxygen actually results in uh, stimulating over 5,000 genes. And in so doing has the capacity to, to regenerate the cells that aren't quite dead, uh, but are functioning at a capacity of um, that does not actually allow for that cell to function any way other than to survive. So then it, is it kind of resuscitating or increasing the optimal use or, or function of that cell? Yes, in a sense, it is resuscitating a virtually dead cell, not absolutely dead, because you can't bring that back from uh, that degree of um, dysfunctionality. But yes, it, it is resuscitating a group of cells surrounding the area of stroke such that they begin to have more normal function. Got it, got it. Fascinating. That's amazing. So, yeah. well, can we take a step back and like just define the hyperbaric process? Um, mm -hmm. Like what it does sure. physiologically? Um, what, what we do, there are two major types of hyperbaric facilities um, or chambers, if you will. Um, we have what's called a monochamber in essence, mono being one designed for one individual or a child and a parent, for example. But in general, it's designed for one adult. Um, there are uh, multi-chambers, multi-place chambers, whereby, as the name suggests, more than one individual can uh, reside within that. So basically what happens in our system and we have two such uh, chambers. We're on the Reston Hospital campus, not too far from Dulles Airport. Uh, and what we do is open the chamber. The individual uh, uh, lies on a gurney. Uh, the gurney is then attached to the chamber that is slid into the chamber. Uh, the stand on which the gurney uh, was uh, initially uh, located outside the chamber is slid away and the chamber door is closed. Uh, at that time, 100% oxygen is introduced into the chamber. And then a certain level of pressure uh, is uh, applied to the individual in, in the uh, hyperbaric chamber. So that pressure uh, is uh, determined by the clinician who oversees the treatment and can range uh, anywhere from virtually just mildly below sea level um, to the equivalent of 66 feet below sea level. Now, the person's not going anywhere, but it's a matter of how much pressure is applied by virtue of the, um, uh, what is capable and generated within the system. The person is just laying there uh, in the chamber. In fact, just on an aside, um, the uh, system is uh, fairly comfortable and uh, actually we have capacity for people to watch video and listen to audio if they want or fall asleep if they want. 
Uh, most dives is what we call it because it's going below sea level at, to some degree. Um, each dive is generally 60 minutes, meaning that it takes a few minutes to get to depth. Um, one is at depth for 60 minutes, and then it takes anywhere from five to 10 minutes to come back from depth. The that degree of depth is determined by what the indication is. And interestingly, when we talk about traumatic brain injury or stroke, where we want to have neuroregeneration, we're talking about more mild pressures. Uh, so we're talking about the equivalent of what's called 1.5 or 2.0 ATA. ATA stands for atmosphere absolute. That's the unit that we use. So one ATA is sea level, two ATA is 33 feet below sea level. We can go to three ATA or 66 feet. But in the mild pressure for neural regenerative conditions, we're talking about anywhere from 16 to 33 feet below sea level equivalent. Okay. Okay. So when doing that, so it's interesting because I've heard of, you know, going above sea level with as methodologies for, um, you know, fitness levels and, and trying to work through. Right. This is right. like the inverse of that. Correct. Correct. What, what you're doing under those circumstances, you're creating a hypobaric environment as opposed to a hyperbaric. Um, the hyperbaric is more pressure. The hypo is less pressure so that when you're going into an airplane, for example, um, you may um, pressurize the cabin to perhaps uh, 0.8 atmospheres. You're not going to achieve a normal pressure. But what happens as happens on high altitude, like in Colorado and Denver, um, the body accommodates to a high, chronic hypobaric environment by creating more red blood cells. Um, because under those circumstances, the oxygenation goes down when you're having less pressure within the air environment. Uh, and so that the body accommodates that by sensing it needs to carry more oxygen through the blood. And since red blood cells are the major oxygen carrying uh, and, uh, capacity cells within the body, more of them are generated to accommodate that hypobaric state. Okay. Okay. So with the hyperbaric, you know, you're driving up the oxidation of the blood. So how, how does that work if you are normally living living at like a 97 to 99 range. Right. And that's a fair question. And, and what you're alluding to for your listeners is the uh, concentration of oxygen in the hemoglobin, which is in the red blood cell, is generally under most circumstances about 97% capacity. So that when you introduce oxygen, as I've just described in the hyperbaric environment, the hemoglobin really only has the capacity to increase concentration by 3%. And if you think about it, that's not a lot. Well, what's actually happening is that you're supersaturating the blood. 
so that the oxygen isn't just being carried by the standard physiologic hemoglobin, but it's supersaturating the blood. So it supersaturates tissue. And, and it's that capacity to supersaturate tissue just by virtue of the oxygen within the blood that then um, uh, goes into tissue cells. Uh, that's how it affects the change that we're okay. talking about. So which yeah goes to organs and you know, improves the function within the body. Right. It turns on mitochondria. Again, mitochondria are the powerhouse of every cell. And very often mitochondria are not functioning properly under chronic circumstances. I alluded to the post-stroke state where the mitochondria are hibernating and so that those cells aren't functioning. But frankly, in the setting of chronic fatigue, whether it's chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic Lyme disease, very often a component of an individual's malaise and chronic fatigue and just overall dysfunction is that the mitochondria are not functioning properly. Okay. And, and this can turn on the mitochondria and improve, improve energy, improve cognition, improve deficits, neurologic deficits, such as a stroke. It can actually, it's been shown to improve the function uh, and decrease pain in the setting of fibromyalgia uh, or peripheral neuropathies uh, have all been shown to improve in the setting of hyperbaric treatment. Wow. So you mentioned a, a handful of different, you know, chronic inflammation or diseases. Um, are there areas that are, you know, it's science, so it's constant discovery, but discovering new applications or use cases that, you're seeing with, with the use of the HBOT? Uh, well, there, uh, yes, um, there is research that is being done actively uh, supporting some of what I've already described because unfortunately there are restrictions on insurance or Medicare covering some of the indications to which I've alluded. Um, so, um, for example, traumatic brain injury and treating the post-stroke state are not covered by most insurance uh, carriers, uh, including Medicare. And so that there is ongoing research to try to convince the FDA uh, to have reimbursement for those conditions to help the millions of people who are affected. Other conditions um, uh, such as autism, such as cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy in particular has been shown to respond to uh, this condition so that very often CP or cerebral palsy are related to birth defects where oxygenation to the developing brain of the newborn uh, at the time of delivery or just prior to delivery can cause neurologic deficits. And those neurologic deficits can be reversed in part uh, by hyperbaric oxygen. And that's been shown in placebo controlled studies. So is that kind of like the similar response as a stroke? Uh, Correct. Correct. You're, you're talking about healing 
neuroregeneration of damaged cells of the brain. And in fact, hyperbaric oxygen has been shown to increase the number of nerve stem cells or progenitor cells and increase the activity of nerve stem cells. So hyperbaric oxygen can actually create new brain cells. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. And that, yeah. so that's been an area of discussion that I, well, anecdotally, uh, thought that was understood to not be possible. Correct. And, and when I was in medical school 30 some odd years ago, we were told that the brain cannot regenerate. But in fact, it can. And we've proven it by studies, particularly studies in, in, in the animal model. Uh, but even in the human model, uh, there has been evidence that there's an increase in circulating brain stem cells after treatment with HBOT. So is this a bit of um, a stressor, a positive stressor to the body to get it to activate in certain areas, or is it more just a matter of... Well, that's actually an interesting question, and I think what you're alluding to is oxidative stress. Yes. Um, And for your uh, audience, what oxidative stress refers to is the generation of... um, oxygen-free radicals, which are uh, energized oxygen molecules that um, develop in the state of what we call hyperoxia, main, basically an increased concentration of oxygen. That's what we're doing. What we're doing is introducing 100% oxygen and putting pressure within that microenvironment to make very small oxygen molecules which then do what I've described is done. And one of the phenomenon that occurs, and in fact, we take advantage of it to some degree, and I'll tell you in a moment, is the generation of these oxygen-free radicals. Now, on the one hand, they can be helpful in killing bacteria. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if there's too much oxygen-free radical present or oxidative stress, then that could actually damage our own cells. Um, And in fact, the reason we don't go to very low pressures for neuroregenerative reasons is because of that oxidative stress, that there's felt to be a sweet spot where the uh, nerve cells are turned on, but not so much so that there's damage by oxidative stress. The other concept that I wanted to articulate is um, that of the hyperoxic paradox. And now what do I mean by that? Well, we turn on this oxidative stress. Well, the body also accommodates to that by generating antioxidants. So more glutathione, more Uh, enzymatic and non-enzymatic antioxidant pathways are turned on. Again, hyperoxygen uh, state in HBOT environment turns on over 5,000 genes, some of which have antioxidant properties, so that there's a balance between turning cells on and turning the hyperoxia 
oxidative stress on and turning that off. And, and at the end of the day, depending upon the indication, will determine what balance is appropriate and thus what pressure we choose for a particular condition. I had already alluded to the fact that in the neuroregenerative state, we might provide mild pressure in the order of 15 to 33 feet below sea level. When we're talking about treating infections or inflammation, we actually want to go deeper into the 2.4 ATA level or 45 feet below sea level. That's what I use often uh, for wounds or uh, for treating Lyme disease, for example, uh, certain cases of Lyme disease. Okay. Okay. So um, from a treatment perspective, is this something mm-hmm. that you do one time and it's done or uh, fair question? It, sure. Uh, some kind of protocol associated with the surgery. Right, right. Uh, again, as, as one might imagine, depending upon what the indication, there's going to be different responses. Um, but to take uh, the particularly traumatic brain injury, let's say, um, that one can start seeing benefit within just a few treatments. Again, these each treatment in general for traumatic brain injury is 60 minutes at depth. So you're actually in the chamber for about 75 minutes or so. It takes a few minutes to get to depth. You're at depth for 60 minutes. It takes a few minutes to come back up from depth. However, we anticipate that most people with traumatic brain injury are minimally going to warrant 10 to 20 treatments, very often more. Um, And that uh, the degree of therapeutic gains that are achieved um, are going to depend upon the degree of deficit and disability with which the individual starts uh, and, and then how responsive they are to the intervention. There, there is something we call post-concussive syndrome, And that's the phenomenon of a number of uh, signs and symptoms that are generated as a result of trauma to the brain so that there is an organic component manifesting, for example, as an increase in headaches and dizziness. Uh, There are mood-related issues such as mood instability and anger. Uh, and there are cognitive aspects such as uh, memory loss and cognitive impairment and loss of it or, or dysfunction of executive function. That's what often occurs in the setting of traumatic brain injury that creates sustained adverse disabilities. And that can take um, uh, up to, I've, had, I've treated people for over 100 treatments. Because on the one hand, we can make these therapeutic gains in the setting whereby virtually no other intervention can provide that uh, gain. Uh, Unfortunately, there is some sliding back uh, of uh, the gains made by any individual and how much occurs um, is variable. 
most people will sustain some gains made, but not necessarily everything. And so that some people may need 20 or 40 treatments up front, and then maybe six months later need another five or 10 treatments to reestablish the gains that were achieved previously. It's almost like, for lack of a better term, a maintenance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a good example. That uh, multiple sclerosis, for example, is a condition that has been shown to uh, have uh, improved with this intervention. But that's, that's an ongoing inflammatory process that warrants anticipated um, repeat treatments to maintain the gains made so that that individual may require 20, 40, 60 treatments up front, and then every four to six months may need five treatments anticipated on an ongoing basis because it's an ongoing uh, uh, process that causes that disability. Yeah, that you're kind of pushing up against, so to speak, or pushing back. Um, An underlying uh, dysfunction, yeah. uh, pathology that is ongoing. Correct. So you mentioned um, turned on genes a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I'll relate it to, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but I've heard, you know, your genes are fixed, right? We get our genes from our parents and mm-hmm. lineage and all that kind of thing. But it did I interpret that correctly that you're saying it's turning on genes right there's a phenomenon called epigenetics and and that relies on other aspects uh other parts of function that are required by genes to function properly and so certain vitamins for example uh, folic acid, B12, uh, in the setting of something called uh, MTHFR mutation, uh, mm-hmm. which is an enzyme that's important in uh, the development of certain hormones. Uh, homocysteine uh, can be elevated in that setting. And, and, and if an individual has an MTHFR mutation and you give super doses of B12 and or folic acid, then that can accommodate the deficiency um, that exists. I mean, the gene deficiency is still there. That doesn't change. What you change is the function of the gene by virtue of providing that vitamin. Hyperoxia does that as well to a variety of genes. Okay, okay. Um, And then a lot of this treatment is focused on inflammation, chronic inflammation, from a variety mm-hmm. of sources. It, I've heard it in other episodes I've done when it comes to nutrition, and you just mentioned vitamin B. Is there some correlation around diet that you see some connection there in some of the inflammation, or is there? Uh, a, that, that's, a, that's an that interesting sense? question. Um, that's not an area of expertise that I have, frankly. Okay. Um, now, Having said that, extrapolating on the question of inflammation and diet, um, certainly the gut can be impacted by hyperbaric oxygen treatment. And so that conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease can respond to uh, hyperbaric oxygen. And, and And there are a number of papers that discuss that, Crohn's disease, 
or ulcerative colitis, um, which are two um, are are two types of inflammatory bowel uh, that uh, can re be reversed if um, if they are under the exposure of of hyperoxia or hyperbaric treatment. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. It just the inflammation element just seemed corollary. So, um, so we've been talking about those who have this systemic challenges. Is this something that someone who may not have those things see some benefit? The benefit of a hyperoxic state can be seen in, uh, in people who don't have disease. Um, such that um, uh, there's potential of, of healing areas uh, that may not, an individual may not realize are diseased, um, that uh, can help uh, regenerate part of the nervous system, uh, can help with cognition, uh, even in normal individuals by virtue of stimulating the generation of and the uh, activity of nerve stem cells or progenitor cells. Uh, by stimulating mitochondria throughout the body can help the function of all cells in the body. Yeah. And uh, whether there's disease or not, it can improve the efficiency and the function uh, of cells throughout the body, even if there's not overt disease. Right. Yeah. Cause I guess, you know, there's, there's disease by virtue of age and right. <laughs> as we get older cells begin to die more. Yeah. And, and that can help slow down that process. Some slight anti-aging. Right. There is an anti-aging, a theoretical anti-aging component to this. Yeah. I guess that would make sense if, like you were saying earlier on the stroke and others where if it's resuscitating weakened or sickened genes that are outside the dead zone, <laughs> I'll say it, that they can kind of rebuild that life back. And I guess that's kind of what is happening to us as we age is the functionality isn't as much as it was before. I understand. Right. Right. Senescence aging uh, is that's a natural process and the number of brain cells that a 60-year-old has is not the same as what a 20-year-old has. Um, but hyperbaric oxygen can move you towards an, an improvement in both the number of and the function of those brain cells. So you, you mentioned, um, going back to one of the comments around coverage with healthcare mm -hmm. um, limitations. So to me, is that... I'll make an assumption that availability or, or the pervasive use is minimal due to that as a barrier? Um, well, uh, it's an interesting question and an interesting way you pose it. Um, there are 14 FDA-approved indications for hyperbaric oxygen, and, and, and probably the most common indication, well, definitely the most common indication for which most hyperbaric centers uh, use uh, the device is for wound management um, because um, if you're talking about inflammation, uh, 
that's certainly an area uh, at times of profound inflammation. And hyperbaric oxygen improves the oxygenation, the vascularity, the blood flow, uh, the generation of, of uh, healing tissue uh, to the wound, and does that analogously to the brain, if you think about traumatic brain injury, is a wound to the brain. So what we're talking about is wounds of the um, body, particularly diabetic uh, lower extremity wounds are the most common uh, indication. Uh, there are other indications like acute carbon monoxide poisoning, um, uh, uh, inadequately treated um, bone infection, uh, etc. Those are 14 FDA approved indications. What we have, and, and unfortunately, the indications to which I alluded earlier in this conversation, that being a traumatic brain injury, post-stroke state, cerebral palsy, where there is a good degree of evidence basis in the literature, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the FDA has not taken to approve those indications. And as a result of that, Medicare in particular, but most commercial carriers will not uh, cover those indications. What's interesting is that most hyperbaric centers are affiliated with hospitals. And the hospital systems are uh, required by Medicare in a particular uh, treatment modality to follow the guidelines of FDA approval. And the fact that there are these 14 FDA-approved indications for hyperbaric oxygen, those hospital-based hyperbaric oxygen treatment centers are obligated to stay within that 14 group because if they start to treat outside that group, they run the risk of losing Medicare coverage. Okay. So that my center although it is on the Reston Hospital campus, is a privately owned center and for which I don't have those restrictions uh, with respect to Medicare, which is why I'm able to treat those conditions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably a conversation for another time, but, you know, with most uh, medical costs on the back end of life, it would seem like you'd be able to lower that if you had access to certain things sooner. Absolutely. And, and, and if you think about the, the, the gains that are made for either traumatic brain injury or the post-stroke state, both from the standpoint of, of decreasing the need for rehabilitation, formal rehabilitation that exists presently, um, and the on the backside of improved functionality of the individuals in question to potentially go back and be functional citizens that then contribute to society. Right. Let alone quality of life, which obviously has significant bearing for that individual and their family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, depending on the severity of their circumstance, right you know, right. some kind of care, whether it's family or outsourced. Right. And, and there have been studies done, particularly in relation to traumatic brain injury and the military, that show 
statistically that there are savings, profound savings that could be made if the military were more aggressive in providing this service to uh, either active or veterans for that matter. And in fact, the VA has begun, has loosened its restrictions on this and there are mechanisms by which veterans have the capacity to go to centers like mine if they can find a VA physician to identify that their TBI, traumatic brain injury, um, uh, warrants hyperbaric treatment, if they are provided the insights that unfortunately many clinicians in the community simply aren't familiar with the capabilities of this technology, uh, which is in part why we're having this conversation tonight. Right. Um, and that I'm, I'm trying to convince more and more uh, of veterans, uh, the NFL football players, we have one coming in this week, as I'd mentioned, uh, that uh, traumatic brain injury is in large part, uh, a component of it is reversible. Whereas without HBOT, uh, gains made would not be as extensive. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so many things with that one. Uh, yeah, you could probably have about four episodes on some of those things, but this has been really an intriguing conversation. I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by, by this, you know, we're talking about areas where, uh, getting the word out this podcast is one of them, you know, how, how else can we, get the word out on things like this that can better well, serve and, and help with wellness. Right. Uh, well, certainly social media is uh, probably the most efficient way to do that. Um, I've lectured on this topic for the last decade um, under uh, in, in different um, locations. Um, I alluded to the NFL. I I lectured a couple years ago to the NFL Players Association in D.C., and there were about 45 uh, retired players at that um, at that meeting. Um, I've I've lectured at um, other venues as well, and and the more you get the word out to clinicians, to the lay public, um, I mean, invariably people know. Um, individuals who would benefit from this technology. And it's a matter of mobilizing that interest uh, to access it and ideally to get insurance coverage for it, but even simply to let people know that it exists. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, we joked offline, but, you know, in IT, and uh, I remember learning this early on, is it seems like the more you learn, the less you know, because there's so much information out there, mm -hmm. complex human beings and, um, you know, or individuals too. We've, you kind of alluded to that. It's each use case. You might have a process to follow, but every individual is its own circumstance on mm -hmm. severity, complexity, how you respond to things. It, it, right. But that individual is, uh, has a personality, has uh, a family, has a, uh, an, an environment that is impacted by disease yeah. uh, and health. And, and if we can intervene in those cases as described, then we have the capacity to really help a large number of individuals and families. 
Yeah, because you, like you said earlier, you, I mean, you have the emo- mental and emotional aspect of it, mm-hmm. the family element to it, which ties right. to these two. There, there are um, the the emotional behavioral component to post-concussive syndrome can be profound. Uh, I would argue that O.J. Simpson had post-concussive syndrome, and look where that evolved. Right. Uh, there are a number of cases of football players who have killed themselves uh, and, and found that their brains were injured as a result of traumatic brain injury. Uh, that potentially, uh, some of which could have been reversed had they had the opportunity to, to do hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, Joe Namath is a good example, has, a, uh, has had... Uh, tremendously positive experience with hyperbaric oxygen and, and has a foundation supporting uh, helping others uh, obtain that therapy as he found was significantly a benefit to him. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm happy to be a part of a small part in, in advocating for this is it's just fascinating to me. And there's so many, options to uh to really help help people and what Mm -hmm. you're doing so i appreciate you doing that um again thanks for the time what i like to do is i usually close things out with a few personal questions Mm -hmm. that's all right so what are you reading right now what am i reading yes sir (laughs) what aren't Uh, you reading i guess probably (laughs) Well, well, actually i i am i I listen i have audio books so when i when i take walks it's it's really no mind stuff uh, because <laughs> I'm constantly concentrating on managing very complex patients. And so that I just kind of turn my mind off and it's, it's uh, a sci-fi kind of stuff. Yeah, that's good. So what are you listening to? And you kind of touched on audio books, but music or podcasts. Uh, well, I mean, I like soft music. Um, soft jazz, uh, particularly in terms of audio stuff, um, that I, I mean, I, I continuing medical education, um, I try to stay away from politics (laughs) that that gets me upset. So I stay away from that. Yeah. I don't listen to the news very often these days. Yeah. I mean, except to, to, to track covid and the impact that that's going to have on me and my patients yeah yeah um and interestingly just on an aside there's recent data to support the value of hyperbaric oxygen in the setting of deteriorated lung function in covid19 that's new data really yeah so then fascinating okay um I wonder if that could go with like other lung-based diseases like uh, COPD or can asthma. be, but yet you have to be careful with COPD because one of the major potential uh, problems with hyperbaric oxygen is a pneumothorax. I've never seen it. A pneumothorax is a collapsed lung, and COPD in large part can involve blebs of stretched out abnormal lung tissue that 
have an increased risk of collapsing. So in fact, that's a population that one would want to be cautious with. Uh, we're prepared for that um, a, a possibility. But again, uh, in the last 10 years that I've had the clinic, that's never happened with any of my patients. Okay. Okay. Uh, and last question, what is your go-to rest and recovery method? I meditate. Meditation. I do transcendental meditation. And I've done that for 45 years, twice a day since college. 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And uh, it's been a tremendous, of tremendous value in uh, dealing with stress and just improving sense of well-being and cognition. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Shore, uh, grateful for your time. I know you're very busy and uh, for your practice and what you're doing with, with HBOT and uh, helping people out. So thank you very much. My pleasure. And for any who are interested, um, our website is www.hbotnova.com. Thank you. Great. And I'll sh put that in the show notes. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Lots of great practical tips covered here today. And if you know someone who could get some value out of this episode, please share. Be super grateful. Uh, we're all about being well and improving our, our life. And so if someone can get value out of this, please remember to uh, subscribe, review, and share. Again, grateful for you. Remember, be rested, be well.